Winnaker Weekly is a three-episode-in anime discussion podcast where two brothers discuss a show of their choice. The show can be anything from a current season flop to a decades-old classic. What are they going to talk about next? Who knows? They sure don't. This is Whitaker Weekly. Let's get right into it. Uh, for the news this week, a um, couple of things that I'm pretty excited about. First is the first poster for the Konosuba movie has been released. Yes. Uh, have you seen it? I've seen the poster, yes. Yeah. Um, Megumin's looking fairly... Um, older? Older. Yeah. 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 Maybe a year or two. Yeah, she looks a lot older. Um, well, it could just be because it's a different company who's doing it than the show. Sure. Than did the show. Um, but it could also be that it takes place later on. I'm not quite sure. I haven't looked into the plot. Right. Um, second bit of news is also Konosuba related. They have announced a dungeon crawler uh, that for Konosuba. And it's going to be released for the PS4 and the PS Vita. Mm -hmm. uh, I have no idea if it's going to be released here in the States. Um, but... Um, it's a throwback to the old, old school first person view dungeon crawlers where oh. you're just kind of going through a dungeon, t turning left and right, and you just see the dungeon in front of you. Um, and then when it gets to combat, it's again like old school Dragon Quest combat where you see the monsters right. and then you see your character's stats on the bottom of the screen. Yeah, didn't, uh, didn't Earthbound <laughs> do that too? Earthbound does it. Um, Dragon Quest still, well, you have the option to do classic view in Dragon Quest right. um, uh, 11. That's what it is, Dragon Quest 11. Um, no, no, no. Is it 12? I think it's 12. Gosh, I can't remember. I've been playing, I am pretty I've been sure the crap. I'm pretty sure it's 11, but I haven't played a Dragon Quest since 3. Okay, it's probably 11. You should get your Dragon Quest 11 because it's phenomenal. Okay. Anyway, um, it's... Uh, yeah, and one of the great things is in, is in the trailer, it shows Megumi casting Explosion, and there's a massive fireball that just explodes and destroys the monsters in front of her. But then as soon as she casts it, it's, the camera pans down and zooms on her MP, and it's already at zero. So <laughs> so it's authentic. It's authentic. She has <laughs> one spell a day. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you want to make sure you save Megumi for when you absolutely need her. Yes. Um, but at, while I was looking for um, the link to put for on our website for this bit of news... I learned that there was actually another Konosuba game that was released a f about a year ago uh -huh. that was a visual novel. And um, visual novel, for those of you who don't know what those are, those are video games that they have. It's uh, it's pretty much um, uh, branching story paths. Um, you yeah, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, usually depicting a character or two on the screen and a lot of text dialogue. It's a, yeah. lot of re it's a novel. It's a lot of reading. That's that's what the Fate series started as. Okay. Um, a visual novel um, um but there's some pretty uh popular ones these days like uh, doki doki literature club yep that's a visual novel all right um but anyway uh um in this one um kazuma finds a ring uh -huh. and that ring and he puts the ring on but the ring happens to be cursed oh, of course and the is. curse is that he randomly has women's panties on him on his person. Without using his steel ability like he does in the show. Right. He just has panties on him. And he's got to try to find out who these panties belong to. In order for him to get the curse undone, it costs 300 million of their dollars. <laughs> so they have to go on quests and do odd jobs to earn money so Cosma can get this ring off of him. Honestly, that sounds more delightful to me than the dungeon That's, crawler. That, that sounds like one of the episodes of the show. Actually, yeah. that that sounds legit like an episode of the show. And I would love, and um, if there's a translated version of it, maybe I should try to see if I can find one. Um, but if not, I can always just import it for the PS4 because the PS4, at least for their games, they're region free. So mm -hmm. um, anyway, and uh, I believe all the voice actors from the show are back. Same for the movie and stuff. Um, so it should be just like meeting old friends again. Mm. Might get a little, be a little bit getting used to the new animation style for the movie. But I'm excited for it. I'm really excited for it. We're both looking forward to it. And something that I'm personally really excited about. Did you ever play Warhammer Quest? Warhammer Quest. I don't think I did. It was... A, I played the Tabletop like... Fantasy. I played Warhammer Blood Bowl. Uh -huh. I played Battlefleet Gothic. And I... 
I've seen forty k re- play, but I've never played it. Okay. Do you remember? Well, we played Battlefleet Gothic together for oh, yeah. a little bit. Um, though our battles never really went anywhere because every time we got to the real meat of the battle, dinner was called and we were forced to clean off the table. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, our uh, shoot. What am I trying to say here? Our um, so Warhammer Quest. Do you remember the board game Heroes Quest? Yes. Okay. Imagine Heroes Quest only some more complex version where you go. There's a rule book about this thick, oh. you know, about half an inch thick or so, uh-huh. with quests that you can undertake and rules for going to visiting town. Your characters can go from level one to level ten, and you get new abilities and things. Uh, as you buy levels, you go on adventures, earn gold, and then you then you buy levels from that gold. Okay. Um, uh, what you would do is you would pick a quest, what you wanted to do, mm-hmm. but there was no map for the for the quest inside the book. The way the game worked is that you had a deck of cards, and you would draw that card, and that card would be would have an image associated with a certain tile, and that tile you would place in front of you. And uh. then you'd go into that room and explore the room, and you could run into monsters, find treasure, do all sorts of things in it. So it was um, a randomly generated... Uh... Yeah, my friends and I, back in high school, we played it all the time. Like, um, when we... I didn't play Dungeons & Dragons very much in high school. Um, no. I played maybe five or six games my entire time throughout high school. Um, yeah. But uh, we played a ton of Warhammer Quest. It was just a fantastic game. Um, and we... Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because there is now supposed to be released later on this year a 40k version of Warhammer Quest that is called the Blackstone Fortress. Blackstone what? Fortress is a chaos battle fleet, a oh. battleship, um, and you go exploring this and you you raid, uh, gain levels and things like that as well. Um, and apparently they have one for um, they kind of have a steampunk world now. They've kind of, they've kind of dropped. Um, fantasy from their board games or mm. from their from their from their tabletop stuff but they, they have now like age of sigma or sigmar okay. and that's kind of a steampunk-esque world wow. um and they've got that as well as a board game of a quest version of that mm. um these board games are not cheap okay they're about 150 bucks a piece but okay. they are more than worth it right mm-hmm. now how much was that um uh, what was it? You had a huge box for it. Um, Descent? No, uh, you, Descent, there's that one, but the other one was uh, based on a video game series. Uh, Dark Souls? Dark Souls. How much did the Dark Souls board game cost you? Um, I got that on sale, so it was only 60 for me. Um, but that was on sale. That was on sale. It, I believe it came out at 120 Okay. So, but, but and, have... and then Descent, how much did that run you, do you think? Oh, that was uh, that that was a board game that also went for one twenty. Uh-huh. But I got it at uh, a place that had uh, discount board games. Right. Um, they're no longer around, unfortunately. But uh, it only cost me about eighty to pick it up, and then I spent twenty on an expansion for mm. it. So. Okay. All right. Um, that's it for the news. Unless did we want to talk about Diablo Immortal? And kind of the explosion that that's had. <laughs> I mean, not much to say about it for us. We're like, I love Diablo 1, 2, and 3. Um, Diablo Immortal is not made for me. I'll just go ahead and end it with that. I'm, right. I play games on my cell phone. I enjoy playing games on my cell phone. Diablo is not the kind of game that I want to play on a cell phone. No, Diablo's... Okay. I bought Final Fantasy 2 or 4 um, for the ipad mm-hmm. because it was available and i thought oh hey cool that's and you know 15 dollars wasn't much for me at the time mm-hmm. but i don't ever get to sit down and play it mobile games aren't great for grinding type games and leveling games where mm-hmm. you're doing that it's mo- mobile is casual mm-hmm. that's i mean they really uh the, the one big anomaly from that formula has been Pokemon Go. Mm. And, peop- and you know, a lot of marketers are trying to capitalize on, figure out how what what was it about Pokemon Go that was so successful. So a lot of marketers are trying to, you know, get teams of people to replicate its success. And I'm afraid the marketing department is uh, taking control of Blizzard and not the... Uh, it's... 
the and reason it was the developers. Okay, free advice. Yeah. The reason it was popular is because it's Pokemon. It's true. That's part of that is a huge part of it. Yes. Yeah. It's Pokemon. That's why it was successful. If it was anything else, it wouldn't have been anywhere near as successful. People not... have been asking for a Pokemon game for a decade on mobile devices. Yes. And they finally got it. Yeah. That's why it was successful. Nobody's asking for Diablo on mobile. Nobody's asking for it. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted it. And, you know, if they made it... And people are going to get download it. People are going to mm-hmm. buy it. People are going to play it. Oh, yeah, it. people will. But you don't but you don't make that your final announcement at blizzcon blizzcon people who go to blizzcon are the people who paid three thousand dollars to get the best pc that they can mm-hmm. those are the people who attend blizzcon people who attend blizzcon don't fork over the money to go because their best their most technologically advanced platform is their phone Mm-hmm. i mean if i think about it really mine is my phone I mean, I've got a really nice cell phone. Yeah. That being said, I still play more games on my PS4 than I do on my cell phone. And same with my Switch. If I'm the if I'm on the go, I take my Switch with me. Yeah. But so, the problem is, and you, you showed me that rant um, earlier, but but uh, I've heard other people explain. You know, this is what happens when marketers make decisions instead of developers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, and yeah. when developers lose touch, and when when you get into developing, you end up putting in like eighty-hour days, mm-hmm. uh, eighty-hour weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I say eighty-hour days—that's not physically possible. No, but it's a require, but it's expected. But it's expected. We expect <laughs> you to put in hundred and eighty hours a week. There's only hundred and seventy-two hours in a week. We expect your family to chip in some too. Uh, that's from a Dilbert classic com- Dilbert. That's a Dilbert comic from back in the day. Classic. Then, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just what happens when big companies lose touch with their audience. Mm-hmm. It happened to um, it happened to Blockbuster when they didn't pay attention to market trends. Mm-hmm. So, yep. And All right. so, so there's no such thing as a business that's too big to fail. Yeah, I know. So I if could... Blizzard doesn't, if Blizzard doesn't find a way of turning this around and realizing that they oh, are well, creating still a PR gonna, nightmare for themselves, they're going to still make millions simply because outside of America, like even in America, the uh, you know the mobile market is just huge, sure. and there's plenty of people who are still going to play it. But I'm, you know, it may get to a point where I decide to go ahead and give it a try. But honestly, I'm hoping to get Diablo three for the Switch here in the near future. Yeah. So I don't really see the point of playing it on my cell phone when I'm going to be playing it on my Switch. Right. Okay. Anyway, enough of that. Um, we don't want anybody to accuse us of being toxic gamers for having a discussion about a game. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and move from the news to three episodes in. And what did we watch this week? This week we watched uh, Rewrited, Derrida Who Leaps Through Time. Mm-hmm. Now, as I, I was noticing something about the, the spelling and pronunciation of that title. Mm-hmm. And you notice if you read the capital letters backwards, and then the lowercase letters forwards, you have the main character's name. Oh. Okay. So I'm wondering if that's kind of a play on how you know the timeline and the overarching not narrative plays out a bit because they got some maybe timeline stuff happening. Okay, so the synopsis was in 2050, engineer Derrida Yvain is famous for his contributions to autonomous machine DZ at his father's company. Rebuild. But when he and his colleague Nathan discover a dangerous flaw in their creation, their warnings go ignored. The next day, after Nathan's daughter Mage's birthday I want to pronounce it Mage, but I know it's Uh, Maji is how they were saying it in the show. Mm -hmm. But it's spelled Mage. It is. It's spelled Mage, but they say Maji. Yeah. Mm -hmm. after, the next day, after Nathan's daughter Maji's birthday party, the group barely escapes an attack by unknown forces, leading to Derrida's unwitting captivity and cryogenic stasis. Ten years later, he emerges in a world at war with the mechanical life forms he helped create. Now he fights to survive his nightmare future to make good his promise to, quote, take care of Maji. All right, let's go ahead and get right into it. Uh, the episode starts off with a girl being painted. Uh, a girl in a red dress being painted by somebody. Yes. And 
she but she has fallen asleep and she wakes up and she says oh i'm so sorry i fell asleep and this voice which is a very digitized voice says it's okay don't worry about it um and she says oh i have to go meet him um and then the voice says oh well you better get going and she says oh it's okay or, or are you late is he already waiting for you and she says oh don't worry about it um he's always late um and then she runs off and she changes from this red dress that she was wearing while she was being painted into a white outfit. Mm -hmm. And she opens up the door, and in the door we see the outline of the protagonist. Right. Um, and then it cuts back to the protagonist in a lab. Yes. Um, and he is talking with his... Um, uh, he's talking with his friend Nathan. Right. And they're talking about a... Uh, oh... Yeah, we're the, well, they're talking about a bug that they've uncovered in the recent in the new uh, software for the automotas, automatas, yes. which are a series of robots that now pretty much you know I don't want to say inhabit the world, but pretty much everybody in the world has a robot companion. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's as common as a cell phone these days. Mm -hmm. uh, Looking forward to that future. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, overall, the first episode kind of moves slow. It moves really slow, the first episode. I mean, I felt that it... I, I kind of got the feeling that it had the same pacing issues as the first half of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It just... They, they spent a lot of time... They're spending a lot of time setting up what to expect later. Okay, yeah. But, you know... Yeah, mm -hmm. as a child watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, mm -hmm. you're always waiting for when they finally get to the Chocolate Factory, which is what forty five minutes into the movie. I don't remember, but it uh, it takes it now, feels like it takes mean, a while. Do you mean the remake or the original? The original. I'm talking about the Gene Wilder original. So that's isn't that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? No, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the remake. That's that, right. That's that, right. I apologize. You keep getting those names mixed up. It's Willy G, because Gene Wilder was the main character. They made him, They changed the title of the book to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. But the book's name is Charlie, and technically Tim Burton's adaptation was more faithful to the book. It's a lot more faithful to the book. Yes. Um, Whereas mm -hmm. Gene Wilder's adaptation was a Gene Wilder movie. Yep. Um, though, that's so weird to say that he's the main character, because as, he, like, as you're watching the movie, he's not. It's obvious, no, it, it is yeah, about Charlie. It's it, totally about it's, Charlie. It's the Charlie's... entire thing revolves around Charlie. Yeah. He is definitely the protagonist. Well, he's absolutely the protagonist, but he doesn't... It's just one of those situations... Well, we're, we're delving into something... Yeah, let's not of, worry about that. That's completely different. So, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Episode 1 felt very, very slow. Not a lot happens. Um, that's well, kind of why we do a three-episode-in review. Cause we yeah. Can't just, you can't just judge this, the whole of it on the first mm -hmm. episode. But they, um... They, uh... So, um, long story short, they leave. They talk to the owner um, mm -hmm. by of the company by the name of Andre. Andre, and uh, they say, "Look, there's this fatal flaw. If the same command is issued at the exact same time to ten thousand of these units, they'll go haywire. Yeah. We have to fix this." And he's like, "No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Like you, like robot assistant over there, delete the last half hour of what was you what you've just heard." Uh, uh, as if such an order would ever be made. Yeah. Well, there's rumors about them being used for military purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you, yeah. And so you can see the exact kind of issues that that would raise if something, if these robots were used for military purposes. Um, but they, uh, um, they, the, he refuses to issue a recall saying that we've, our, our robots are famous worldwide. We've never had to issue a major recall. Um, people trust us. If we issue a recall now, that we'll lose that trust. Um, you know, as opposed to what happens if something does go wrong. Um, yeah, he, he he's spouting a lot of what you'd expect a businessman to spout, but really, mm -hmm. if he wasn't corrupt, he would have done something. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, the two scientists go and they decide that they're going to do something about it, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, Derrida uh, agrees that agrees to Nate. And Nathan are talking, and Derrida says, that I'm going to meet with my dad tomorrow, but he's hesitant about it. Um, and then we cut to the next day, and he has a meeting with his dad. Right. Um, oh, wait, no, no, no. Is, is it the birthday party first, or...? No, the meeting with his dad is first, the birthday party second. Okay, so he goes, and he, meets with the, he goes and he meets with his dad. And his dad is this super famous scientist who made the robots. Um, and he tells, he says, son, that's incredible that you discovered that error. 
Um, and while he's praising him, Derrida gets pissed and, you know, starts shouting at his dad saying enough, you know, enough is enough. And I'm just like, okay, there's obviously some wounds here from Derrida's side. Yeah. Um, or they're trying to create dramatic tension here. Personally, I didn't feel any. I'm just like, Derrida's just acting like a brat right now. Um, especially since his dad legitimately just complimented him mm. on finding this flaw that's really, really bad. Um, but uh, Derrida gives him a key, a little digital yeah, key. Yeah, I was, I was uh, wondering if I'd missed something in that mm. scene. That's... No, you didn't. It's just they rushed it. You know, okay. they didn't really give time to really develop the the animosity between the two. I didn't feel any animos- animosity from the dad at all. You know, it was 100% coming from Derrida, in yeah. my point of view. Um, but anyway, they, um, they, uh, he hand, he, Derrida hands his dad a little, like, um, not USB, but their version of a USB drive, like a little software yeah, key. Yeah, it, 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 mm-hmm. um, it was very thin, so it more reminded me of an SD card, like a long SD yeah, card. Yeah, a long SD card. Um, and he says that, well, when they say that because these robots have already been deployed, the only way to update their software is to do it manually. Which is why they have this key, uh-huh. and this key needs to unlock them so they can uh, unlock the programming so they can update it. Mm. Um, and then after that, he goes to the birthday party. Yes, and um, we meet Maji and Maji's friend Yuri. Yep, um, and they're both just kind of adorable little girls. Yuri has this uh, has a gun that is actually a camera. Yes, I mean the first time you see her, she's pointed at somebody. She says "freeze" and then pulls the trigger. <laughs> And a camera, and then like a camera sound goes off, and my thought was, that's not going to end well at some point in this show. Yes, I mean, really. <laughs> now I've seen um, that I've seen that gun before, though. Mm-hmm. One of the kids in Serial Experiments Lane had a similar device, but it also accessed the internet. Did it end well for him? All I'm saying is no. that in a show. Uh, <laughs> it, it it wasn't as important. Okay. <laughs> no, in, in this show, this was one of uh, I don't remember his name, but Tchaikovsky's loaded gun, whatever. That, that, oh, that uh, Tchaikovsky's gun. Tchaikovsky's gun. Mm-hmm. Just says you know, if you show a loaded gun in Act One, it needs to go I'm off. Prob- I probably just got the name wrong, but Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. If you show there a loaded gun, if there's a gun on the mantle in Act One, it better damn well be used in Act Three. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. I actually had somebody tell me about that when she was giving me feedback for my book. Uh-huh. When I was like having when I uh, was On the first like, draft. No, no, for beta reader when uh-huh. I sent it out to beta readers, and she said that this right here is like Chekhov's gun, and it better be important later on. And I was just like, "This is the random ramblings of a fourteen-year-old girl as she's trying to keep her mind distracted from the chores she's trying to do. This is not Chekhov's gun in the slightest." And I actually brought it up in my writing group. And they're just like, I don't think she fully understands what Chekhov's gun actually is. Mm. So, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, we... Um, uh, anyway, they have this birthday party. Um, there's a robot who helps them, helps them out, Mrs. Hudson or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, um, Reminds me re- a little bit of Rosie. Yeah, a little bit of Rosie. Jetsons, mm-hmm. From the Jetsons. Uh, she's nowhere near as cool as Rosie, though. She, uh, Mrs. Hudson, no, no, is just she's, this she's, very, very basic she's very robot. Doc- mm-hmm. She's a docile, obedient robot who's mm-hmm. a fun little companion and not nearly mm-hmm. as sassy or as amazing as Rosie. Yeah. Anyway, she, uh, they have this birthday party for Yuri. Uh, oh, not for Yuri, for Maji, and Yuri uh, sings a song for her. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and there's, shoot, and there's what's just his not, name? There's just a complete... Derrida. There's just a complete absence of dramatic tension. Yeah, Derrida, Derrida gives him gives her her favorite flowers. Her dad gives her a uh, her locket, uh-huh. uh, a locket. Uh, I thought it was a pocket watch. It might be a pocket watch. I think it's a pocket watch. It, well, we've never seen it open before. We so. haven't, but the general shape of it, it's perfectly round on a single chain. Yeah, it's, so well, I think it's, it's. You're probably right, but my mind registered it as a locket for some reason. Okay. Um, but anyway, he uh, maybe it was because I finished uh, Castlevania. And there's some lockets in Castlevania. I haven't finished Castlevania, but I had just seen one of those memes about um, the pocket watch that the Elric brothers oh, had. Oh gosh! And so I identified it as a pocket watch. Okay. By looking when I looked at it, so never forget. <laughs> never forget. Um, anyway. because the fifth of November. Gosh. Anyway. <laughs> um. So they have this birthday party, and nothing really happens, and then no. he and. Uh, 
the girls go off. Um, Maji just uh, says, uh, goes to walk Yuri home. Mm-hmm. And then the two dads, or not the two dads, um, uh, what's his name? Derrida and Nathan are sitting down having a drink. And uh, Der- and Nathan says, well, what are you going to do next? You know, like after you're done with this project with the robots, after we fix the robots, what's next for you? And he's like, well, I don't really know. And Nathan's like, well, how about you put, help me with my project? And Nathan's like, that time travel thing? No, thank you. I don't want to waste my time. And Nathan gets upset at him because the time travel thing is based off of his idea, Darita's ideas and his thesis from when he was a student. Um, And uh, for some reason, Darita just says, look, the last time I tried to do that, I lost a chunk of my childhood memories. I want nothing more to do with it. Um, And Nathan gets mad and slams the drink down just as um, Maji comes home. Yeah. And um, from walking Yuri home from walking Yuri home. Um, and, uh, Maji and then Dar um, you know, I keep forgetting his name. Nathan? Darida. Derrida. Derrida. And Derrida are outside. Uh, he says, do you want show me where you're going to, where you're going to plant the flowers? And she says, okay, they go outside. She says, when spring comes along, I'm going to plant them here. Plant them here. It's Christmas right now. End of the mm-hmm. year. Um, and they, um, he has a conversation with her and she says, well, how come you don't want to help dad with his, uh, with his experiments. I think it'd be really good for you. They're based off of your research. It's like, have you read them? Yeah, I've read your research. They're, it's Your research is really, really good. This is coming from an eight-year-old girl. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, she says, I th- and uh, he hands her the key that he meant to give Nathan and says, right. please give this to your dad. Yes. Um, and she's, uh, and uh, then he walks off and he's, are you going to, are you going to join my dad? Are you going to help him? maybe type thing as he's walking off and then she says she says something about uh you should never give up on your dreams or something like that mm-hmm. um and then he goes off and it cuts to the dad's home uh it cuts to his dad um yeah Derrida's dad's home his name is, is Jacques or, uh-huh. or Jacques or something like that um and uh he stands up and turns around and sees a gun in his face and the gun goes off yeah um and then it, we go to um, Derrida's home and his cell phone's going off and he wakes up and Nathan's saying, get up, we have to run, we have to go right now. Yes. And he's asking why and he says, it's because the robots, they're already out there. They're, they're already been militarized, they're already out there fighting. There's nothing we can do about it, they're trying to silence us. And so he... Um, he um, they're driving through the streets, uh, trying, and Nathan's a very bad driver. <laughs> I mean, he crashes a couple of times hey, he, just getting yeah. Darius, uh, I, I, I just remember thinking, you know, yeah, that this is subtle. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to, they try to escape. Um, and, uh, Nathan says that and, and, Maji's and, and, at Yuri's place. Um, she'll be safe there. Well, Maji was... Apparently, right after that, Maji had conducted one of the, their experiments and That's was right. unconscious. She, she had conducted one of those time travel experiments and mm-hmm. was unconscious in the hospital, but she was going to be staying with Yuri's family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and then it's revealed that Nathan never got the card from her. Never got the uh, the Never got the card. And then and they realize... We need to go back and get, it, and get it. And Nathan, rather than doing a three-point turn he's in this massive massive van and he just tries to flip around in it he obviously has no idea what he's doing and so he flips the van uh-huh. uh it tumbles several times um ends Derrida up upside down ends up upside down Derrida get leaves the van as he's trying to get nathan but as soon as he gets out of the van lights turn on and we see andre there with armed men um and he's saying uh in a fit of jealousy um derrida killed his father and then uh trying to escape with his his lab partner nathan they got into an argument and he killed nathan and then out of um out of grief grief he killed himself that's what's going to be in the news tomorrow and he tries to go get nathan um but nathan says run just go get out of here go leave me and that's where he shouts take care of magi before the car blows up take care of magi well what happens is that nathan's about or not nathan um derrida is about to go to the car when suddenly he sees a vision of a little girl in a dress a red dress and this little girl looks exactly like magi this is the first time he sees it yeah i just thought it was Uh a white dress but i could be wrong no it's a red dress okay Every time she's popped up, it's been a red dress. Okay. Um, but she looks at him and uh, and like doesn't say anything. But he's he's just kind of stuck uh, stuck looking at her. Yeah. 
and, and, she's, and she's slightly different from how we'd expect her. Her eyes are purple instead of her eyes are like shimmering, purple. shimmering purple mm-hmm. instead of the dark blue mm-hmm. that they normally are, or black. I think it's black. Um, yeah. but anyways, and, that, and mm-hmm. her hair's a little different and kind of floating with the effect going on around mm-hmm. her. And um, as soon as she disappears, that's when the van blows up, and the force knocks him back. And just putting two and two together, she showed up to keep him from going, getting too close to the van and getting killed by the explosion. Yes. Um, and he knock, gets knocked down a hill, falls down into a forest below. Um, the soldiers are trying to find him, or the guards are trying to find him. And then he sees the girl again. Yeah, he, he, he's running away from them. Mm-hmm. Sees the girl again, falls to where she is, mm-hmm. and then falls into a... Uh, some kind of uh, ventilation shaft. A ventilation shaft that leads to an abandoned laboratory where a they were deep work- underground. Deep underground where they were working on cryogenic freezing, um, and we know this because he stumbles into one of their. Um, yeah, he's he's injured. He's tired. He decides to take an. He, he decides, decides to, to lie, lie down. down, and then suddenly he's strapped into this uh, cryogenic tube, mm-hmm. holds him in, and then goes up, oh, going for the default amount of time, ten years. Yep, and uh, that's where the episode ends with him being trapped there frozen yes. for 10 years um episode two starts and we see a girl in black approaching the um the, the, tube. the tube and this girl leaves a note and, mm-hmm. and the, the pocket watch. and the pocket watch on the cryogenic tube and then she leaves yeah um we don't see who we, we just see the her side um and her hand and that's mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. um though I will say right now, I'm kind of annoyed that we have no idea what's in the note. I mean, it might not be a note. It might be a handkerchief that she put there to keep the pocket watch protected against the metal. Mm. Um, because we do see when he comes out, he pushes his hand against the metal of the device. And it decays. And it, it decays. It's probably because of the, of the extreme cold that he was under. It's so it could be that she was protecting it against the cold. I don't know. Yeah. To me, it looked like a piece of paper, not a handkerchief. With, yeah, with how it seemed like a folded piece of paper. So mm-hmm. you'd think there'd be a note on it. Mm-hmm. But anyways, he he kind of stumbles out and he leaves and he gets to the nearest city, but the nearest city is in ruins. Absolutely devastated. Mm-hmm. And um, he's absolutely devastated because he has no idea what's going on, but he sees these robots yeah. and these robots. And in episode one, when Nathan's talking about the, the robots, we see an image of, like he said, I, I, wa- I watched the news of the war um, and I saw one of our robots there and it was a robot that had like a horn on its head and glowing red eyes and stuff mm-hmm. um and then we see these robots only they are much more skeletal they mm-hmm. look like they've been out fighting for a long time they're falling apart um it had a very terminator feel to it where they yeah. look like they look like they're walking around like skeletons with red glowing eyes yes um he suddenly becomes an action hero and well when it comes well, to the he, ability he clumsily, of bullets, he, he clumsily runs away mm-hmm. these things who knows how long they've been malfunctioning because their targeting systems are way off and they're yeah. just kind of they're mm. missing him entirely or something. I don't don't really know. So, but he was protected by plot armor and uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm just I'm just teasing. But he uh, yeah, he, he's running away. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he hides behind some cover. Uh, his cover's blown. He runs away some more. Trips falls. One of the robots is about to. Uh, to kill him. He's got this robot's got a sword on its wrist rather than a gun. He's about to stab him and then. And then one of the most amazing, one of the reasons we really like to watch anime is some of the imaginative ways that they do mm-hmm. things. And the gun that hits this robot does something incredibly cool. It passes through him, and then it, I don't know if it's part of the projectile or if its own innards are are hyper uh, heated, explode out, and then rapidly cool again. I, I think it's the projectile. That's my that's my guess. Because yeah. every time he shot, the, the, there, there's a man... Every, every time he shoots one of these robots, mm-hmm. and I didn't see it happen to like a wall or anything, it's just like when it hits the robots, mm-hmm. um, from from the uh, from the wound, from both the exit and entry wound... Piping hot metal shoots out, rapidly cools in these crystalline structures, and then sometimes they shatter. Mm-hmm. And... Sometimes he shoots the robots several times. Sometimes when he he only needs to shoot the robots once. But anyways, uh, this is where we meet the next uh, character, and Vidal. And this is Vidal. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this is uh, Vidal, and Vidal is what is called a uh, destruct or a demolition man. Mm-hmm. He's a man who will take on any job as long as he's getting paid for it. Yes, he's a mercenary. Um, and he says, uh, it looks like you're in trouble. I can take you to the nearest settlement, but it's going to cost you 200 And he's like, 200 what? I don't understand what's going on. What's happening? Um, anyway, uh, he agrees to pay 200 whatever and um, Vidal brings his car around and puts him in his car, and that's where we meet Vidal's daughter, um, May- Mayuka? Or is it Mayuki? I, forget. I, think, I think it's Mayuka. Mayuka. Um, and she's this cute little red-headed girl, long red hair, um, and as they're driving along, um, they they cr- run over a couple other robots, they escape from some other robots. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got this really, really cool car. It's like a souped-up version of Knight Rider. <laughs> yep, and it has an AI he talks to, and mm-hmm. uh, that does an- analysis. And, and I mean, like Knight Rider. It's yeah. not like it's black with a bunch of red glowing trim and stuff like that. We um, we see it in the opening credits that um, it mm-hmm. can do some pretty uh, nifty things I'd, in terms of its ability to change shape a little bit mm-hmm. um, to adapt to whatever he's doing. And he clearly is a much much better driver than Nathan. Yeah. He is, it's kind of a night and day. He's in good hands. Yeah. Um, but uh, they what they try to do is they try to scan a chip underneath his arm to charge him money. And apparently yeah. that's how people carry their money around these days. Right. Um, and they're like, well, wait, no, that's the, the, there's nothing there. And the car says, maybe it's an old chip. Try that other device. And But they don't find anything. He says, well, how long have you been asleep? I've been, well, he, and then he explains to him, I've been asleep for 10 years. I have no idea what's going on. Hmm. Um, uh, anyway, they, uh, he convinces them to take him to the city yes. uh, because he's trying to find Maji. He's, yes. He made a promise to protect Maji. And so he goes and, uh, he goes to, um, Maji's house. Right. And inside of Maji's house. And this is another reason why, like, I'm not, I wasn't too thrilled or impressed with this show because we were already seeing flashbacks to episode one and episode two. And I was just like, you guys are, you guys are stretching it thin enough already. But like, yeah. he went into the house and he saw a bunch of scenes that he just saw, and I'm just like, really, guys? It's again, there's a pacing problem with this yeah. show. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, you could, I think episode one, they didn't. I don't think they needed as much with episode one as they did. Uh-huh. I mean. Imagine okay. Imagine watching Futurama, mm-hmm. but having all of the information about the dog in the first episode. You don't need that much that early on. Well, in season one, like I was going to say, is bad enough, but that's not true. Season one of Futurama is great. It's just, um, it season two is when Futurama really picks up and becomes its own thing. Right. Um, it season one is the weakest of the original four seasons, is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um. But yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. I, uh, I, they, I think mm-hmm. they, I think they maybe hyper front loaded the first episode with uh, too much exposition, mm-hmm. and they could have easily done uh, flashbacks to kind of mm-hmm. establish. I mean, they they didn't need to seed it with so much. Yeah. I don't. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely some pacing issues with this show. But anyways, he goes up and he um. He, oh, well, um, real fast, before they go to the house, we kind of learned that the world has been overrun by these robots, mm-hmm. um, and the men who made these robots became super rich. Yes. Um, and uh, he is hesitant to, Derrida is then hesitant to tell them he's one of the people who made those robots. Yeah. Because, obviously, the world's gone to hell, and he's wondering if they're going to blame him for it. Right. Um, but anyways, they get to... But eventually he does. He eventually uh, lets mm-hmm. them know that this is the situation, mm-hmm. and he thinks that there's a way to stop these robots entirely, but... Mm-hmm. but the... He needs to find Maggie because Maggie has the key to help stop the robots. Yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, he goes to. Uh... Anyways, um... so, so he's he's taken back to the city where they are, mm-hmm. and they go to the manor house where uh, Nathan lived, mm-hmm. or the house where Nathan lived. And he goes through and he sees all the images and stuff. And then he goes up to the roof and he's kind of reminiscing a bit when we hear a gun click and it goes into his back. And this girl says, "Don't turn around. Don't move. What are you doing here?" And then he just kind of says to himself, and he recognizes the voice, mm-hmm. and he just says. Uh, well, I don't really think that you're going to... I don't really think that you can shoot me 
Yuri, after all, that's just a camera you have in my back. And then a gun goes off as he turns around. End um, of episode two. Was that the end of episode two? I'm pretty sure that's the end of episode two, and episode three starts with a bullet casing dropping on the floor. I don't know. I don't. No, 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 no. Episode two doesn't end that way. Well, there's, there is more to it than that, but I think uh-huh. that, it's, that happened earlier. I thought it, I thought it really ended on that point. I don't think it does. I'm pretty sure. Now, there's another scene where Andre, the uh, the boss. Well, that's what is, we're about to get to. Yes. We get to that scene, and and this is still in episode two because episode yes. three ends with the reveal of where of what happened to Magi. Yeah. Amaji. Yeah. That's the end of episode two. Yeah. So she shoots him. And then we cut to Andre, uh-huh. and Andre gets an announcement that, look who's alive still, and he's like, that's impossible. Right. Oh. He can't be alive. Episode three yeah. starts with him hiring the woman to kill him. No, I thought episode three, I thought episode two ended with it, him hiring the woman to kill him. Uh, anyways, the show has pacing issues. Um, <laughs> but he, he then turns, like, the gun casing then drops to the ground, yeah. and, he, and like... After that scene with him of him learning who Andre learning that uh, Derrida is still alive, um, turns around and Yuri says, um, "Next time I won't miss. Who are you? What are you doing here?" Yes. Mm-hmm. And then Derrida says uh, that I'm you know it's me it's Derrida I'm alive. She's like that's impossible. Derrida killed Nathan and then he killed himself. So the news. I was framed. And he screams that I was framed. I never did that. Um, And uh, he says, I need to find Magi. Where's Magi? Where's Magi? And she says, it's not possible to find Magi. Magi's dead. And then uh, they go to the grave. Yes. Um, And that's in episode three. Is that episode three? The beginning of episode three is when they go to the grave. I honestly don't remember. I I just watched it it today. It does blur together Mm -hmm. a bit. Um, Anyway, uh, they. Okay, yeah, that's right. Uh, because she's been the woman's been hired while they're at the grave. Yeah. Um, before they go to the grave, the woman was hired to kill him. Because yes. that's right, she shows up at the grave. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now what happens is she so she's wearing long black hair with uh, a, well with she's a, she's going, when she goes to meet um, Andre. The, oh uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, the billionaire, um, and she's. And he starts praising her, and she's not listening to any of his sweet talking. Uh-huh. And then he says, and then he reveals the target and shows a, a great big image of Derrida. And it's at that point that I'm wondering exactly who this assassin is, because she pulls a gun on the billionaire, on Andre. On Andre. And I'm like, ooh, mm-hmm. is this uh, <coughs> is this secretly Monkey? And uh, is, is the thought that went through my mind at that moment is like, is she going to kill this guy right now because he wanted her to kill somebody mm-hmm. who she doesn't want to kill? I don't think it's Maji, but I no, think that it's, it's somebody, not. I think it's somebody who knows who Derrida is. Uh-huh. But even after that, she's like, uh, payment up front. And he's like, payment is like payment up front and whatever you want. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, she goes off to, to kill him. And then we see um, them at the gravesite, and he is, uh, you know, he's sobbing, wondering what to do because he already he's are he he's already lost. Yeah. You know? um, he's already failed in his uh, promise to try to take care of Mangi. Mm-hmm. And uh, and while there, she arrives with the flowers that were monkey's favorite yeah donna shows up with the flower the woman's name is donna donna she walks up with uh the the flowers that were maji's favorite and uh yuri recognizes those flowers Mm -hmm. and she's now i didn't recognize her at first because instead of having long black hair like she did in her meeting with the billionaire she has very short white hair the the uh um, defining characteristic was like some markings around her uh, right eye. She had markings around her, her, I think it was her left eye. Her left eye. Um, but she had markings around her eye and yeah, she's got white hair back and it's back in a ponytail. Mm. Um, and much, much shorter than the long princess cut that she had. I don't even remember what her hair was in that scene. I just wanted to be done with it. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we, um, anyways, uh, she shows up and they have an action scene, uh, gunfight, whatever. And uh, Vidal starts protecting her. Vidal starts protecting her. Uh, get to the car. 
Mm-hmm. It actually gives the car's name at that point. Yeah, I can't remember. Well, he, he named Gideon the car, or something like that. He named the car before as well when he uh-huh. addressed the AI. So that's who he's talking about, yeah. the AI. Um, so they get um, Yuri and um, Derrida run to the car. They get into the car mm-hmm. and um, the car starts driving on its own. And then um, Vidal shows up. And he starts cursing him out, saying stuff like, "You really, really, you have Donna of whatever nickname he gives her." I think the white smoke. Donna, the white smoke, uh, is on your tail. Protecting you is going to cost you a lot more. Yeah, protecting you is going to cost you a lot more. She's a lot more dangerous than I am, pal. Type thing. He's like, "Fine, whatever. I'll pay anything. Just put it on my tab." Um, <laughs> and so they drive off. And as they're driving off, um, and they're he and Vidal is driving hard and far, and he's trying to get as far away from them as he can. And Yuri's just like, what do you guys, look, we've, we've driven plenty of distance. Let's go ahead and, you know, we can slow down now. And then suddenly a hovercopter appears and there's, and, and it's Adana piloting it. And she's uh-huh. shooting them with machine guns, like with a Vulcan machine gun and missiles and stuff. Um, and there's a great big chase scene going through mm-hmm. uh, a rocky uh, terrain mm-hmm. as he's making his way towards and, a tunnel. And the car goes into off-road mode, and by off-road mode, I mean it drives up a wall the same way um, the little beetle does. In, uh, I was about to say Castle of Cagliostro, where Lupin the Third's little car drives up a wall as well. Only <laughs> his is a bit more high-tech than Lupin the Third's, and Lupin the Third's was more for comedic effect. Um, yeah, the, the, the impossibility of that comedic mm-hmm. effect is just... Beautiful. The, the, the things Lupin can do. Man, I'm, now I want to go home and just watch Lupin the Third so I can watch the taste of this anime out of my mouth. That <laughs> okay. wasn't. It's not that bad. Um, but they, um, they, uh, he, he says, "Is there a cache nearby?" Talking to his AI, and one uh-huh. the AI says, "Yes, there's one four kilometers away." And so they go to this uh, or safe house or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so they. They drive towards it and they go into this tunnel and then she blows up the tunnel. Yes. Sends in multiple missiles to, to collapse the tunnel. Um, and uh, she just kind of flies off after that. Um, and then one of a scene that I actually really enjoyed mm-hmm. is Andre's watching on a view monitor the uh, her her actions of blowing up this tunnel. And what's happening is he's, he's shaking, holding this uh, little teacup and the mm-hmm. robot in the room goes, spill eminent. Warning, milk tea will spill. Milk tea has spilled. Mm-hmm. As he spills it on himself, then he yes. slams his hand down. Like, and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> My cake! My <laughs> he cake. He doesn't even notice that he slams his own cake mm-hmm. until, until his hand is covered in frosting. Um. Anyway, he... Uh, uh, so, so he's a buffoon. He's a buffoon. Um... But the thing is, he's not like a lovable buffoon. He's just we we, we can't we're, we're tolerating him because of his buffoonery, but we can't wait to see him dead. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like the lovable buffoons that we have in other animes, um, like uh, the bad guy in El Hazard. Um, yeah, he's a buffoon. You can't stand him, but he's a lovable comedic buffoon. As opposed to this guy. He, he, he's somebody and, you love to see suffer. Yeah. Well, and like the, the scene with the tea and the cake and stuff, uh, to me that kind of feels like they're trying to make him a lovable buffoon. But with the stuff he's already done, I'm just like, there's no one to love this guy. No. Stop trying. Just let us embrace the embrace the fact that he's, you know, he's the bad guy. That he is a horrible person. Yeah. Embrace that fact. Try, try, stop trying to redeem him in our eyes. Um, anyway, he, uh, anyway, um, so they repair the, the car in the, um, in the safe house, in, in the safe house, and they decide to go ahead and take, uh, to take Yuri home. Yes. Um, and so there's another, he's, uh, the other end of the tunnel is totally fine. So they go ahead and they drive through that tunnel, mm-hmm. um, and they go back to the city, mm-hmm. uh, where Yuri was living. Yes. Um, we come across, uh, a kind of a post-apocalyptic, uh, market place out in the streets um yeah are selling food it's a Uh, bit yeah it's um it's street vendors street vendors mm -hmm. have uh filled up a um a street that was never designed for street vendors but Mm -hmm. is now a a post-war torn Mm -hmm. area And, and they kind of explain that you know survivors just kind of gathered in this place and so they're we're making our lives here now mm-hmm um, but you know, there's a scene of Vidal and his daughter buying weaponry and books and things like that. Vidal's daughter, uh, loves reading books, um, yeah. children's books and stuff. So he gets quite a haul. Yeah, it gets quite a haul. 
Um, but they, uh, they, um, they go to uh, Yuri's apartment, and she says, "This is where." And she's slowly starting to believe that um, that. Um, Gary knows who he says he is. is. Yeah. Uh, Because he remembers things that other people shouldn't be able to remember. And when he was crying at the graveside, she realized that those were real tears uh, and not fake ones. She's choosing to believe Mm -hmm. him. But for so. Mm -hmm. And she's wondering, and like one of her questions is, how can this stuff be so shocking to you? And he says, to me, this is like, to me, that birthday birthday party party was yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. So it, everything just changed so quickly for him. Um, and anyway, she takes them to the room where she and uh, Maji were staying. Um, her parents left the country when the war broke out in their country, but she and Maji decided they wanted to stay, so they, they lived together for a while. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, he, she starts showing him pictures of Maji and stuff like that. She still has the uh, the gun handle camera. Still has the gun handle camera. Shows him all these pictures of Maji from the party and stuff, and. Um, she says to him, and he's like, well, I, now I don't know what to do because, you know, she had the key. She was the one who could, had the the key that we needed in order to fix the robots. And now it's gone. So there's nothing we can do. And then Yuri says, actually, she's alive. And he yeah. says, wait, what? No, yeah. she's, she's alive. I lied to you. And the reason I lied to you is because she disappeared on me last fall. I've been trying to find her, but I can't find her anywhere. Uh, So she set up a fake uh, tombstone. In order to keep people from asking her questions, because she figures people are looking for her, she set up a fake tombstone and has been telling everybody that she's dead. But she has no idea where to find her. Right. Um, So. And so they're parting ways. mm -hmm. And he's leaving when he sees for uh, uh, yet another time he he actually sees her another time i forget when but she uh the the girl in the red dress Uh um he asks her what her name is and she responds and she says anji anji Mm -hmm. anji yes um so she uh and so anji shows up anji shows up again and points up to the window she's she's trying to say something but she can't and he says what what is it you can you not say anything and then she points up back to the apartment and he realizes something's going to happen, mm-hmm. and so so it's very mm-hmm. clearly established and, in these first three episodes that uh, that this Anji is some kind of time traveler who is showing up at the right place at the right time to guide Derrida's path. Mm-hmm. And but she yeah, and we forgot to mention this um, after Derrida and um, Yuri go into the apartment. We see. Um, we see uh, Vidal again in the car, and he sees a bunch of thug-like looking people scoping out the building. Uh-huh. Um, and then um, after he, after, uh, after, um, shoot, Derrida, after he sees Anji, mm-hmm. and she points at the, um, excuse me. And she points and up he, to the third story. points to the third story apartment. Of this building. He turns uh-huh. around and starts yelling for Yuri, and then we see a grenade being dropped. And, and there's a big explosion, mm-hmm. uh, fire and flame coming out the windows, mm-hmm. and there's Yuri hanging from the third story window. Mm-hmm. And then she falls. She jumped out just in time to avoid the flames, or to avoid the explosion. Uh-huh. But she doesn't have a good grip, and she falls. And had he not started running when he did, he would not have been able to catch her. And the way she was falling, she would have snapped her neck uh, when she landed. Yes. So, but he caught her, saved her life, um, and they... Uh, and uh, they get, and then suddenly Vidal pulls up with the car, and he tells them about the suspicious people who uh-huh. were at the building. And they get out of, they get out of Dodge, they get out of town. Yeah, they do. And they go to another campsite. And in that campsite, Yuri says, "I want to come with you. I want to, f- I want to find Maji." Yeah. And Vidal says, "Fine, as long as he pays for it." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> fine, put it on my tab. And Derrida's like, "Fine, put it on my tab, whatever." Um, and yeah, that's that's the end of episode three. Yeah. Um, oh, real fast though. Before that, uh, we b- before they after they leave the town, we see Donna watching them leave town, and then we have a phone, and then um, she has a phone conversation. She has a phone with conversation Andre. with Andre, and Andre gives up, leaves a meeting, and starts, and he is. Let's play spot the main character because everybody in that room was just a normal black business suit with black hair, but he's got a purple business suit with yellow hair. Yes, and I'm just like, okay, okay, whatever. Um, but he leaves the room and he answers the phone. And uh, she says, um, if you're going to send people other than me, I'm going to kill them. 
if and they get in the way between me and my target, I'm going to kill them too. And he's yeah. like, what are you talking about? I didn't send anybody else, obviously, lying. And she's like, this is my only warning, and hangs up. Wishy, 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 wishy. But anyway, so that's the first three episodes. It is. Um, now, I realize that you're kind of bored with it, but I'm going to keep watching it. Okay. Uh, it's still airing. Um, they've got ten episodes on Crunchyroll right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to give it a try. I realize that it's not that it's not the fast-paced stuff that mm-hmm. you're more acclimatized to. I'm, I'm fine with slower-paced stuff. It's just it doesn't feel like... Like, it, I love, we, like... We, we may have been spoiled with really good quality content this uh, season. Possibly. Because we've got but, some really good stuff coming out, and this maybe uh-huh. isn't as up to snuff. You know, it's not in the mm-hmm. top. Well, Mushishi, that's a very, very laid-back, it at-its-own-pace show. It is, and I couldn't and get I'm into it. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, if it, it, It's just the quality of it. It just doesn't have anything to really grab my attention. Okay. It just feels very, very slow for the purpose of dragging the story out and making as many episodes as they can, mm. as opposed to being concise and telling us the story that they're trying to tell. Right. So, yeah, for me, I was bored for the first three episodes. I just... It wasn't enough to hold my interest. Okay. So... But if you want to go ahead and give it a try, uh, uh, give it a try again. It's on Crunchyroll, mm-hmm. um, and let us know what you guys think about it. Go ahead and uh, post some comments if you're listening to this on YouTube, or just go ahead and uh, add us on Twitter. Let us know what you think about the show, or you or know, you if can you comment think, directly on our website. If you think I'm completely wrong and that it's a fantastic show, let me know. I'd love to hear your opinions. Um, anyway, um, we will not be having a show next week. Okay. I am going to be traveling for my day job. Um, I'm going to be in Pennsylvania for a week visiting uh, people out there. I work for a company that makes software for car dealerships. So I'm going to be working with car dealerships uh, face-to-face all next week. Um, So we will not be having an episode next week. We're going to have a bye week. Mm -hmm. So in two weeks, we're going to be watching, and a lot of people have said a lot of good things about this show. Mm -hmm. We're going to be watching Planet With. Planet With? Planet With. With that's okay. the entire name of the of the show, and this is a mecha anime uh-huh. from the point of view of the villain. The mm. villain is the main character, um, and in the first episode, he beats the strongest of the heroes because it's five heroes and they all summon mechs, and it's like kind of a mech slash magical girl type thing where they uh-huh. transform into their mechs. And he beats the strongest hero in the first episode. Nice. <laughs> um, Anyway, um, Soya Kuroi is a high schooler living a peaceful life despite having no memories of his past. One day, however, his town is attacked by one of the mysterious nebula weapons. Together with his cat-like sensei and the gothic Lolita Ginko, Soya gets dragged into a battle against seven superheroes who protect the town. What is Soya's reasons to fight? The answer lies in his memories. Mm. So, I've heard nothing but great things about this show. Um, So... Again, we're not going to be watching it next week because we're not going to be having an episode, but we will be having an episode in two weeks. In two weeks. And Look that will be the week of Thanksgiving that we'll be recording that episode. So... Is that that close? We're really close. Okay. Well, tomorrow's already the second Thursday of November. Thanksgiving is the tr- fourth. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's what happens when the first day of the month is a... Uh, is a November. Is, yeah, is, or is a Thursday. Is a Thursday. First day of, the, of course, the first day of the month is a November in November. Anyway, so that's it for three episodes in. Let's go ahead and move on to Recommendation of the Week, and it's your turn this week. Okay, this week, I'm going to recommend an anime that we've both enjoyed called uh, Tanaka-kun is Always Listless. That anime is delightful. And that's another one that is slow and at its own pace, but it's it's done well. Yeah, it's, it doesn't it's feel interesting. Plotting. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. They introduce things slowly, step by step. They're not overloading you, and mm-hmm. but the pacing is good, though. Well, the pacing um, is perfect for the main character. And right. let's go ahead and explain who the main character is. Okay, so <laughs> Tanaka-kun is a kid who's always trying to nap. He never cares about anything going on around him. <coughs> and he ends up becoming this kind of leader of a gang of friends who admire him for various reasons <laughs> mm-hmm. even though he doesn't he's not trying to do anything admirable mm-hmm. at all um he the one girl falls absolutely head over heels in love with him because he's so cool and she's just so peppy and she wants to learn how to be cool like him mm-hmm. and so she starts Another, calling him sensei i don't think she falls in love with him i think it's just admiration 
she wants to be more like him. Yes. The girl who falls in love with him is the prettiest girl in the school. And the reason she falls in love with him is because um, she has a habit of letting her hair down, as it were, after school's over. She's always she's very prim, very proper, very oh, nicely dressed. Yes. And then after school's over and most of the students have left, she'll Puts put on her, her hair, glasses. she'll put on her glasses, pull up her skirt so it's nice and comfortable, you know, just you know, throw off her shoes and just be a slob, complete yeah. slob. Slo- she goes into mm-hmm. slob mode when she's working. Mm-hmm. And uh, sh- and like I think she puts her hair back in a ponytail or something just to get it out of her face. Um, well, she runs into Ta- uh, uh, Tanaka. Is that his name? When yeah, other Tanaka when other people see her like that, they don't recognize. They don't her. recognize her at all. They do not see her uh, for her. Um, and, and that's one of her guilty pleasures is that she's able to go around school and nobody recognizes her. There's just a student nobody's ever seen before. Tanaka-kun sees her and recognizes her immediately. And he's just like, oh, hi, and says her name, her real name. And she freaks out and has no idea what's going on. Well, in her mind... And and then, so he has ammunition against her. uh, And he could ruin her entire school career mm -hmm. by exposing how she actually is. And so the next day at school, she's super worried that people are going to know that he's spread all these rumors and that her life is over. But nobody says a thing. No one. Did, did he call in sick today? Uh-huh. No, he's Does there. No, well, he's uh-huh. here. Did he not tell anyone? Uh-huh. The, the thing is, he's... The, the truth is, he cares so little that he doesn't realize it's a secret. Yeah, he just doesn't care. But <laughs> the, the best part is that she starts falling in love with him because she thinks that he can see the real her, the real her no matter what she, she dresses as. And for her, that's just wonderful. And so she starts falling in love with the Tanaka-kun. Yep. Whereas we learned the real reason that he was able to recognize her is because of her bust size. No one in the school has the size of the chest that she does. <laughs> And like his his friend, his best friend, uh-huh. who's known him since like I think kindergarten, says, "So how were you able to recognize her?" Oh, it's because nobody has a chest size like her in the entire school. And he's just like, and his friend just says, "Absolutely, never tell her that." <laughs> <laughs> Tanaka Kuna's list. This is a delightful show. Uh, one of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. I talked about in a different episode of this uh, podcast mm-hmm. was uh, when he's playing Othello with the girl that's trying to uh, to beat him. Yeah, he yeah. throws the match, but he throws the match while spelling the word white in kanji in the middle mm-hmm. of the Othello board, and she thinks she's won. She's like, "I've won, but I feel like I lost the moral victory." <laughs> 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 yeah, that oh, that shows great. That show's fantastic. Tanaka Kun is always listless. So go ahead and give that a watch. Mm-hmm. It's on Crunchyroll, isn't it? It is. Okay. All right. Uh, now it's time for our creator shout out, and it's my turn this week. And I'm going to go ahead and cheat a little bit. I'm going to give a shout out to everybody doing NaNoWriMo this month. NaNoWriMo, for those of you who don't know what it is, it is National Novel Writing Month. There's a lot of national things going on in November. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Uh, no shave November. No shave November. Um, a bunch of things going on. No money November. No, mo- no money November. <laughs> <laughs> Saw that on Twitter today. Um, but uh, but um, NaNoWriMo's National Novel Writing Month, and the mm-hmm. goal is to write fifty thousand words in thirty days, and that's a lot. It for is people, a lot for people who aren't professional authors. Professional authors they churn that out all the time because it's oh as long as they're producing they churn it out all the time yes um but for people who have day jobs you know that takes a lot of time and a lot of commitment i've participated several times i've won a couple of times the novel that i published in september uh Mm -hmm. the devil from the river that started off as a nanorama project Mm -hmm. um and that's one of the times that i won when i used that as my nanorama project um but you know i i turned that i turned it around kept working with it and it a and it um you know, eventually became a novel un, unto itself. Yeah. The, the, um, the theory being that if you could put 50,000 words of a story down in one month, and then you have two months to go back over it, and, uh, and you know, don't, don't worry so much about your first draft. The, but, but you come back and edit it and do your uh-huh, second well, draft, then, you know. Never try to publish your nano, nano novel. Like, Never. Unless you've worked on it a lot to fix it. Because right. you write a lot of words, you write a lot of words fast, and those words aren't always good. As a matter of fact, most of the time they're bad. Right. But the main thing about Nano is that uh-huh. it teaches you to write every single day. That if you want to be a writer, you have to write every single day 
no excuses. You need to, you need to, it is your job. It teaches you the importance of it in nano. Um, so I'm, uh, there's a bunch of links like nanorimo.org is the website where you can go and see all the rules for nano. You can sign up for an account there. Uh, keep track of your word, uh, your word count. They've got a Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, all those links are going to be posted on our website if, if uh, anyone's interested in it. Um, but yeah, I have a shout out to everybody participating in NaNoWriMo. It's a huge thing, a lot of work. And when you complete your 50,000 words, you're going to feel amazing. Mm. So yeah, that's my shout out this week. Fantastic. All right. Um, thanks for listening in this week. If you listened in on YouTube, please feel free to like this episode and subscribe to our channel. If you like what we do and want to support us, please spread the word of our podcast and even support us on Patreon. Where can they find us on social media? On our site, WhitakerWeekly.com. We currently have the links to our Facebook page, our Twitter account, Patreon page, and our YouTube channel. We, current, we encourage all our listeners to follow us on the social media platform of their preference. And if there's one we're not on yet, please reach out to us on one of the ones we mentioned. And we'll broaden our scope to include you. All right. Uh, our artwork was provided by Ben Coombs. And uh, mu the music you're hearing for our opening and closer is Dry Clock by Brasmataz. They've uh, Their music is up for free. I forget what, what website it's on. Mm -hmm. But um, I downloaded the entire album, and it's just a blast to listen to. It's just awesome big band jazz music. So <laughs> if you like that stuff, give their album a listen. It's amazing. Uh, All right. Okay, well, that's it for this week. I've been Andrew. I've been Lee. And this has been Whitaker Weekly. Have a great week.